0: Learn more at Marines.com.
1: For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Aptor, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to vocnation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Wrestling with history worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. The voice of choice, Bruce Ward, killer Ken Resnick, and the man that Hulk Hogan is deathly afraid of. Wonderful Willie, the legend maker. The That's man right. that strikes fear in Pat McAfee as well, Mister Bill. After what's happened in Bill, brother. and Hogan does fear after man. We're going to go fast and furious today. We're, uh, we're recording on a time crunch. The world's back to normal. So my uh, my, my real job, I got to drive two hours into work every day. So who wants to do that on no sleep? Ken's got a hot date with uh, his uh, easy chair and uh, the Milwaukee Bucks basketball game. And Bill Apter's got something upstairs that he's not telling us. About. I
2: can't reveal it, but but I do want to let you know that it is tied in with that sign oh yeah that's that's it is, right, is, is do you have anybody that's did, jimmy did, did into that the sign deals? say what do not park here <laughs> it does <laughs> that sign was held up probably about 15 20 years ago by a fan at the philadelphia spectrum and i hunted that fan down and i got that sign <laughs> and there's a picture of the fan holding the sign on the right hand corner of it.
1: Isn't it a requirement that there's a Jimmy Hart sign Any, anywhere that there's a whole. Sign? No, there
2: was no Jimmy Hart was not
1: involved at that point, but we love you, baby. We love you. All right. Last week, uh, we did a whole mailbag episode. And if you didn't get to, to hear it, go back and listen in the archive. Just search for the VOC Nation Wrestling Network on your favorite podcast app. You get all of our shows. Manny Fernandez just did a mailbag episode, and we did a whole show and nothing about his military career. So it was great. A lot of ravishing Rick Rude, talking about early days with Andre the Giant, Gerald Briscoe. You got to go back and listen to that. But we're here today. We're going to talk about the Heart Foundation. And last week, guys, before we got into the mailbag, we were going to talk about the hearts. And then we just never got to it. So we asked people to
2: send us some questions. And we got some. Yay. Well, this is amazing because I know some of the people that sent the questions. I stayed up for two nights writing some questions (laughs) yeah well
0: bill after 16 wrestling hall of fames and 198 false ids on the internet (laughs)
1: absolutely bill you can follow bill on twitter after one wrestling and i was watching some of the questions come through tag to bill on twitter and i'm i'm just sitting there praying because we haven't really done this a whole lot a lot of the questions we get come in through email or through the website. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, Bill, please don't answer it. Don't answer it because you're going to give it away for the show. And thankfully, he didn't answer. You did very good, Bill.
2: Well, generally, I always answer uh, my tweets. But yeah. uh, I did get your text saying, Bill, don't answer. So yeah. I got it. I got it. He
1: did. He, he what was
2: one of the, One of them, by the way, this guy that keeps, it's almost annoying at this point. All the tweets I'm getting from a guy named Seth Gibbs. Do you have any? <laughs> clue who that is
1: you're going to get me fired All right let's move on let's move on Gibbs, yeah. Seth works for me for seth a. works for me at uh at a, another company not voc nation but anyway
2: that i wasn't going into that there he goes
1: he's, he's going, going to get like million
2: seth 600
1: Gibbs. friend requests on facebook and and there I go. I'll be voted out by the board. We talk,
2: uh, we talk about you every week.
1: Sam. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Welcome All right. Back. All right. Let's let's get on with this. Ken, I got a good one to start off with. It's from a guy named Dan on on Twitter. Well,
0: was it, he talking about the great hunt for Andre the Giant's show on a I hope?
1: No, no. But he was talking about Bill's legendary feud with... With Pat McAfee. Oh, now and it's legendary, legendary feud. Oh my god! And uh, Russell Dan says at VOC Nation, "How dare anyone tell the legendary, wonderful Willie himself, Bill Apter, to f off? Disgraceful!" Yes, absolutely. It was. Yeah. Any uh, any update? Are you in hell in the cell with Pat McAfee? Is there going to, are we leading to a match? Are you working us, Bill? I'm not, I, I can't reveal all the details about this, but. Uh, but Gene Okerlund will tell us on the hotline. No, no, no.
2: <laughs> I wish oh. he was still around to do that. Ladies and gentlemen, if you, no, uh, the, the Pat McAfee thing has uh, died down a bit at uh, this point. So I don't know if the hell in the cell match will actually take place unless there is another one or two releases from the WWE before hell in a cell. And we may be brought in as a substitute hell in a cell match. Well, I
0: I heard the match was on, but they were just going to call it a little irritated in the phone booth match.
2: (laughs) I like that. I like that. Can you see them uh,
1: squeezing Bill and Pat in like one of those, uh, you know, the old school 1970s, 1980s phone booths. And, you know, they're clawing and scratching at each other. And then Bill tears off the receiver, bashes Pat over the head, but he can't
2: get the cover because it's so small. His shoulders won't go down to the ground. Oh, well, you know, you remember The Undertaker and Mick Foley when The Undertaker threw Mick Foley off the cage. This will be different. This will be an F off the cage. Now I, I've heard
0: the match is set. The only holdup is Bill and Mr. McAfee are insisting it be included as one of the main events in the pay per view, and WWE is insisting it be on the in the pre in the pre yeah. pre show. Yeah, yeah.
2: My agent, Mr. Kaufman, does not like that
1: <laughs> all right uh at different styles on twitter says uh bill after did you ever go to the heart house and i'll ask the same question for ken let's go to bill first did you ever go
2: inside of Stu's dungeon no i one of the few territories that i never got to was the uh was the area where bret hart was from calgary oh that hurts yeah. um But no, I I was never in the dungeon, I saw a lot of old eight millimeter movies and 16 millimeter movies. But Mr. Weston, our uh, publisher had a very uh, good photographer and reporter up there by the name of Bob Leonard. And Bob was in the Vancouver area and he covered that whole area for us. So no, I unfortunately never got uh, got to see that area. And were you ever in the Hart House? No, I wasn't. Uh, I
0: actually lived in Calgary for six months, but way before I ever got in uh, wrestling. And, you know, Brett and I, uh, I was involved with a hockey team up there. And Brett's a big, you know, hockey guy, on the Calgary Hitman for a while. Uh, so we kind of talked a lot about Calgary, but I was never in the uh, Hart House. However, after watching the hunt for Andre the Giant Treasures... I did spend an afternoon with Vince and Andre at their rant, at his ranch in Ellerbe
2: in Ellerbe, North Carolina.
1: Wow. Oh, Vince was there too. You told this story a couple of weeks ago on the yep. Andre episode. You didn't say Vince was there.
0: Yep, Vince was there and that's when Andre had just come back and we did the promos with the giant machine.
1: Now, did you have to ride in the car with Vince at all?
0: Uh, no. In, in fact, it, it was funny. There was a little bit of miscommunication. Um, George Scott, and this all went down like the day before I was off for the weekend and George Scott called me and said, hey, you got to go to Charlotte tomorrow. You've got to meet Vince and you're going out to Andre's ranch. We're going to cut some promos. A production team will be there. You know, we'll have everything all, all set up and you've got to meet, you know, Vince in Charlotte. And then I said, "Well, where?" You know, and he goes, and he says, "I'll let you know." And he comes back and he says, uh, uh, "Meet him at the Hertz counter." And it was, you know, okay. So I get there. I'm going on to the Hertz counter, and I'm waiting and waiting, and I've been waiting about forty five minutes. And you know, the office is now closed. Well, what happened? George Scott told Vince I was going to meet him, but never told him what time or when I was getting in my plane got in. So Vince and uh, I forget who else uh, might've been Nelson Swaggler took off for Andre's ranch. And the only thing, and then I asked the guy, I gave him my ID at the Hertz counter and he was nice enough to say, yeah, Vince McMahon rented a car, but he left about 45 minutes ago. So all I could do was get. I rented a car, got a map to Ellerbee, you know, thankfully it was a small town, pulled up into, you know, whatever restaurant was downtown, went in, the gal behind the counter, I showed her my WWF ID, said, you know, I'm supposed to meet Andre at the ranch, I don't know where the ranch is. You know, nobody gave me directions.
1: She's like, sure, but, pal. And there was yeah, no... TV, well, no, no TV I, TV I had my there.
0: WWF, you know, photo ID. Uh, so she was nice enough <clears throat> to give me the directions. And, you know, I followed them and got there. And, and, and you know, Vince was like, where were you? And I explained to him that it was just a miss me, You know, he didn't know he was supposed to wait for me. I didn't know that, you know... Uh, I thought I was supposed to wait for him when he wasn't there. But so we got there and, uh, uh, you know, spent the day with uh, Andre and Frenchie and uh, Joanne. Uh, So it was great to see those highlights uh, of the ranch. Uh, And now I'm actually a little excited. Uh, Just heard from Martin D'Amato, you know, who's doing the gathering the end of July. Uh, Joanne is going to be there and, and, and bring some, Andre things uh, memorabilia and kind of do a little Q and A and answer fans' questions uh, is, about what it was like to be with Andre.
1: Is it official? You're you're going to be at the gathering because there was a little uncertainty a couple of weeks ago.
0: No, no, no. Uh, about uh, the the Waterloo Hall of Fame, there was never any uncertainty about the gathering.
1: Okay, so you are going to the gathering. You will be there. Yes. Okay, great. Yeah. And what's no, the date I, got- I mean, that's
0: always been the case. There was a little uncertainty about who was coming and if I was going to be at the uh, George Tragos Luthez uh, Hall of Fame this year, which turns out I'm not, uh, Adnan is is not coming in. Uh, It was kind of one of those that uh, Trista Stratus was going to be honored. She can't get in across the border. Don Curnodal was going to be honored. You know, he passed away. Adnan, you know, is, is not going to be uh, there. So, you know, I was kind of really going to more to see them. I wasn't involved in anything other than going down to uh, spend time with uh, Sarge and Andre. And, you know, they kind of wanted me to like, host a roundtable, which had I gone, I would have been glad to. It
2: would have been great. Yeah. yeah. but the,
0: the, No, the gathering, uh, I, I've always been going to, to that. There's never been any question.
2: You know, you mentioned one thing when with the uh, at the rental counter, uh, waiting for Vince. You mentioned uh, a map. One of these weeks, I've got to tell you, to and our listeners and viewers, the Vince McMahon get a map story. (laughs) Never heard that, but it's not. When we do another show about Mr. McMahon, I will tell you that story
0: See, he didn't even hang around long enough to order me to get a map he just like um, Come on. I. <laughs> I
2: gotta get a map the story that's a, a good
1: one i think uh you you might have told that on the air bill it have. was it was when uh it was that that infamous when vince uh started changing his personality and howard finkel we yeah we yeah well We'll revisit that. Let's let's save that for another Vince episode. The Gathering, by the way, number two is July 22nd to the 25th in the Hilton University place, Charlotte, North Carolina. Go to tmartpromotions.com. A little cheap plug for you, Mr. Martin. And I will not be there. Bill will not be there, but Ken will. Ken, I wanted to know if you rode in the car with Vince and if the stories are true that he likes to pass gas and roll up the windows. No,
0: I, like I said, I had to get my own car and just kind of, you know, find my way to uh, eventually. But it, it was funny, the, the promos and everything, we did so many of them that it was like an a hour and a half to two-hour drive from the Charlotte airport and our planes were both leaving like in within 2 hours of course there was no you know security to go through back then it was pre 9/11 but i remember following Vince back to the airport and we were doing like 95 miles an hour down these country roads to, to get to charlotte so <laughs> well i don't I, all i can attest to when vince was driving he had no fear
2: not at all and bruce you know you twist things here it's this, you know once in a while i wonder why you twist things when you mentioned that he rolls down the windows and passed gas it rolls up well, that's three dollars and fifty cents i'm passing that one we're going to find a cheaper gas station that's 295 we're... see that's he pa- that's when they said he passed gas that's what they were talking about. ladies and gentlemen bill after he'll
1: be here all night
2: uh, well, don't don't forget to tip your waiters and
1: waitresses. Rolling <laughs> along on Twitter, good and plenty wants to know. Oh, this is a generic question. Was the Montreal screw job a work? <laughs> How about you, Bill? Was the Montreal okay. screw job a work? Is that what is your I opinion have,
2: on that? I have talked about this on many shows through the years. My opinion is that they were all in on this because Vince had to lose Brett. He couldn't afford him anymore, and. I listen, Brett and Sean are two of my favorite human beings in the whole world, but I think that the two of them, Vince McMahon and several other people, um came up with this scenario and it was just gonna help it made Vince McMahon the biggest bad guy heel ever in the business. Ever. Kim, what do you think?
0: Uh <clears throat> I I agree with everything Bill said, but I don't think Brett was in on it. Uh, There were, I mean, genuine hard feelings between Brett, Vince, Sean for a long, long time. And I know how proud Brett was of being a Canadian, being the champion. Um, And I can absolutely see Brett saying, look, I, I just, I'll do whatever you want, but I don't want to lose the title, you know, in Canada, uh, yeah. you know, anything else so and, and I can see Brett, as old school as he was as much respect as he had and, and has for the business, I can see Brett saying look I'm, I'm not you know, and, and there was not a lot of lo- love lost between Sean and Brett going into this whole thing. Correct. So, I, you know, I can see Brett saying, look, I'll do whatever you want, but I'm not dropping the belt to Sean in my home country. Yeah, but if they
2: say? came up with But if they came up with a scenario that wouldn't hurt uh, Brett, because this, this this accelerated his his uh, his value, you know, once he once that night. I just think it was, unfortunately, it was almost good for everybody the way that thing happened.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think certainly more than uh, Vince w- w- was in on it. Uh, but I, I don't think Brett was. I, I mean, I.
2: See, to me, I'm nothing in the about... wrestling business, to me, nothing in the wrestling business like that. And it's rare I ever talk about these kind of things, it's not my stick. But I don't think anything that happens as sensational as that in the wrestling business is not worked out ahead of time. Earl Hebner.
1: And uh, we got a couple of questions about uh, whether or not you guys had talked to Earl, but I'll say this. If you go back to uh, in the room, I think it was uh, maybe late 2019, it was before the pandemic we had earl on with brady hicks and and the maestro and earl said on the air here on voc nation that the montreal screw job was a work and he said that he wasn't briefed on it but he believed that everybody else was and he it was his opinion that it was a work and uh,
2: of the middle of it, yeah
1: yeah, yeah. and uh, he said that he was upset about it because it affected his relationships um, in the business for people that it, and he couldn't you know they had assumed that he was in on it too and um, yeah you have to go back and listen to that but yeah you know, and,
0: and that's one of the things why you know I kind of feel like I do. I mean Earl talked about how much it affected his relationship with Brett and if it was a work to the point where Brett was in on it and agreed with it, why would that have affected? That relationship down the road. But
2: look what Uh, we're doing here. We're discussing this. How many years after this (laughs)
1: happened? Yeah. Well, again,
2: right. This is what they all wanted to happen. This has been a great show. We're talking about gas and earl. Gas and Earl. And 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 that
1: that also, you know, can and I guess I have to go back and listen to it again because I remember Earl saying that. And then also Earl saying how it affected his relationship with Brett. So those two things don't line up. So maybe yeah. Earl was saying that it was a work and everybody was in on it. But Brett,
0: see, that that's my feeling that, yeah. that, you know, I subscribe to that. Absolutely. I think everybody else was. I don't think Brett was.
1: Bill, did you talk uh, to know. anybody else in the, no pun intended, in the room? where it happened anybody like uh and well i mean pritchard's on record with his stuff Russo's come out with his stuff have you talked to anybody that has some hot takes on that incident
2: me uh bill uh being on i i I have not except one or two people after it happened that when we talked about vince getting the black eye and he says that was all part of what was going on just hit me that's it you know this is Yeah. All
1: right. Let's take a quick break and we will come back on the other side with some more questions, more on the hearts. We'll dive a little bit deeper uh, right here on wrestling with history. This is the heart foundation episode killer. Ken. Bill after and the VOC wrestling with history on the VOC nation wrestling network. VOC nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history, get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain, follow the VOC nation wrestling network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like bill after the raging bull, Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, the maestro, Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. You all never know it, but at the rate we're going, we'll never finish the show. Wrestling with History back here on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. Hold There's on some... a minute. I, I'm getting a call. No, doing... no, 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 yeah, no. Listen. No more calls, Bill. No more calls. Wait. Wait. We're an hour into it or 20 minutes
2: into an hour show or an hour into it, whatever. This is Mr. Gibbs. Yes, we did mention you. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Okay. You know,
1: I, I feel like I listen to so many podcasts now. I think I'm the only, because radio is ingrained in my spirit. I'm the only person that like throws in and out of breaks. Most of the shows just like insert a random break into like the middle of a sentence that that's ridiculous. But anyway, I digress. Uh, okay, Back to the I know co- radio
0: was so ingrained with you, but as you move forward in your life experience, you're going to find out there's something called television, which is just going to blow you away. Amazing,
1: amazing. <laughs> and then the internet. My wife keeps telling me to check that out. It's pretty cool. Remember
0: that was Al, Al Gore invented that
1: we did we no, did no that. that was rhino he did the gore i thought trump invented the internet yeah. I, we we finished uh good and plenty uh, uh let's go to ema sam in arkansas uh was jim neidhart always into overindulging did either one of you uh jim was uh, a little beat up in the press in his later years for overindulging into drugs and alcohol i spent a lot of time with jim neidhart uh Recently, in the last 10 years, traveled a lot with them. Uh, we did a lot of events and signings together. I'm no by no means an agent or a wrestling uh, booker, but uh, we would do shows like this live. And every once in a while, we'd bring somebody with us to sign autographs. And I got to know Jim. And, uh, you know, I've I've known Jim to have a drink or two, but I've never seen what I've heard other people talk about. Do any of, either of you have any of those stories? No, not at
0: all. You know, I I work with Jim. We did a ton of interviews uh, when he was with Brett and and Jimmy Hart as the Hart Foundation. Never once did he look like, you know, he was, you know, overindulged in in anything and and couldn't do uh, great interviews. So in all that time, uh, I think that was one of those that, you know, maybe at night in the bar, somebody saw him having a few, but never, ever. Uh, did did he come to an arena like that and you know I was going to say and I know we were going to talk about the Heart Foundation I was thinking about it remember guys when we did the show about Roddy Piper yeah. and I said Piper had this ability that when you watched his interviews as a fan you weren't really sure if he was a little bit nuts yeah. and was really going to do what he said he was going to do to his opponent. And I was thinking in all the years, convention, things I've gone, the the three guys that I get asked most about what they were really like, were they really insane, were they really out to, to hurt people, was Rowdy Roddy Piper, Mad Dog Vachon. Oh and Jim the anvil Nyhart. If you look at a lot of his interviews, Jim could have kind of come up with this freakish grin and his intensity would build, like I talked about Roddy Piper did, that those were the three wrestlers that I get asked most about that fans just weren't sure what they might see when they got into the ring. Mm-hmm. and And I think that's... A, a huge testament to the talent that all three of those men had.
2: Yeah, see, I, I mean, in terms of uh, Jim Neidhart, uh, I knew him, uh, but not him using any drugs or that part of it. I never really got into that with any of the people in the wrestling business. It was just something that I just I don't know, not interested in. They did it, I walked away, and I didn't really know about it but there's one guy in the heart foundation that none of us have talked about at all dangerous danny davis absolutely how did you read my mind just now
1: because i I got a question on him and i actually didn't include it in in the show and ken and i did a show we interviewed danny for like an hour and a half
2: great guy i talked to him periodically on facebook great guy
1: yeah uh bill while we're on that Let's talk about Danny Davis. Now, Danny said, and and I invite everybody, this is way, way back in the archives. You go back to wrestling with history. And uh, you know what? I'll dig it up, and I'll, I'll put it up at the top of the feed. And you can listen to the show with Danny Davis. And I figured he probably covered a lot of what we could talk about. But, Bill... Were you surprised when they went with Danny Davis for the big angle heading into WrestleMania 3 knowing that Danny was really just a referee and a ring no, no, he was a no, ring it, attendant too a, no, a
2: setup guy I would, was not surprised because uh he was one of uh uh Vince's earliest confidants uh so I I I knew that um that Vince eventually was going to use something special with him and he was the right guy at the right time he had that the the I mean he was really the first bad guy referee that that yeah. we, we had seen at, at all and I'm talking about even back in when I started watching wrestling in the in, in the late 50s as a kid I never saw a bad guy referee so this was like and and he played it so absolutely perfectly yeah no he was the right guy for the job yeah, yeah, Ken, you I, were there, right?
0: I, I wasn't surprised at all. You know, this was pre-internet and all you really had, you know, the magazines by the time you'd write the story and by the time they get printed and get sent out, they were about a month behind, you know, by the time they got to the news.
2: Even stands, longer, actually. Yeah, even longer.
0: And the only thing was really the the dirt sheets that would get mailed out weekly because, you know, they'd like mimeograph them and and, and, and send them out. Uh, And Vince was, you know, back then, it was still the kayfabe days. Vince was really concerned about nothing leaking, you know, the, the element of surprise and shocking fans. And Danny was a guy that, as Bill said, was kind of a confidant. And he was one of the people that I think Vince was comfortable that A, could pull it off, but B, and I think more importantly, he could trust not to leak it have yeah, so so I based on those two no I, I I wasn't you know surprised
2: yeah he was he was uh back in the days with uh Howard Finkel and that whole group of people yeah. that uh, uh, surrounded Vince and were very loyal to him and they believed in keeping the uh the decay fame well, well,
1: meanwhile Dave Hebner was over telling Dave Meltzer secrets for a hundred bucks if-
2: but, you know, not all, not yeah. all and the other thing, you know. Go you ahead, know, uh, Bill and then Ken. Uh, so back then, you know, there were people that subscribed to the sheets back then, but more so other than maybe if Dave Meltzer's thing was around back then, most of the sheets were like uh, giving information about wrestling and not, not the, yeah. the real stuff that was going on. Yeah. Not, they weren't all dirt, dirt sheets. There were fan bulletins like G.M. Right. Macropolis and, and people like that, that were doing stuff like that.
1: Ken, uh, what were you going to say?
2: And one of the other things, you know, Bill just alluded
0: to it for a second, but I think also played into it, you know, even back then, not only was he a trusted confidant, but like Bill said, I mean, Danny would set up the ring. Danny would, you know, uh, work, get the concessions in. I mean, Danny was someone they could send on the road uh, and they knew he would, you know, willingly contribute more than just, you know, as a referee. So it really was kind of a, a win-win, you know what I mean? Yeah. Danny was there. He would help with whatever he saw needed some help. Uh, so I think I'm guessing that probably all factored into it.
2: Yeah. When you He's, talk about the Hart Foundation, you gotta, you've got to include him. And, of course, uh, you know, we talk about Bret Hart and Jimmy Hart. Uh, of course as well well and and i want that leads me to
1: another question real quick before we get there from ron and tulsa uh dan danny davis uh told us that he he would go and set up the ring he'd work the first match on the card as like the spoiler under a mask dr x mr x dr x and then he'd come back out and referee a couple of matches Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i mean so he was a jack of all trades what a tremendous talent before we leave um, the guys that would leak to the dirt sheets right and, and Ken was that something that was talked about and Terry Taylor is always picked on uh, as you know a guy that that would you know s- squeal to, to Meltzer and tell him what was happening was that an active like topic in the office but it was was there like hey you better not talk to these guys Meltzer um, and <laughs>
0: You know, I, I don't know if it was big, you know, I mean, uh, like with me, a lot of times, you know, we would do interviews sometimes just based on availability uh, for a market, we might tape an, an interview uh, about what happened in a match that wasn't even going to occur for like two weeks, so they would have that interview to put into the, you know, next week's show, and, you know, I remember, just being kind of told, like, and you understand anything you do, you don't talk about out of school. Um, and, you know, I, I was in the kayfabe era, even from the AWA. So I think they realized they didn't have to, to worry about me being, you know, telling tales out of school, or, you know, tipping off someone. So if it was big in the office, they were never worried about me doing it. So, you know, I, I really didn't hear much about it.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Bill, you, you guys printed, used to print results from the shows um, you know, well after they happened, but I always wondered the fans that are sitting there watching like a four week TV taping. I mean, first of all, it must be a dreadful thing to sit there through six hours of TV tapings uh, and the same, People coming out over and over again, but doesn't that break the uh, the the magic a little bit for the people in those buildings? If you if you're there and you see something and you see like multiple angles on the same show and you know it's then it's being played out on TV as if it's happening organically week week after week. Doesn't the
2: the fan that attends that show isn't isn't no, it all dude, lost? How many fans are at that show? When you look at the amount of fans worldwide. That are seeing it on TV and not realizing that these things were the basic fan didn't know that these shows a lot of times were taped three and four weeks in advance.
0: Well, uh, like Mm -hmm. when I was there, we did Poughkeepsie, you know, every three weeks. Mm -hmm. But if you think back on it, Bruce and Bill, as you well know, back then there was no internet, you know, Mm -hmm. it it didn't get out and was just the fans in Poughkeepsie. But remember, this was just the earliest stage of pay-per-views. So even to a large degree, what happened on TV tapings was mostly to set up the house shows. Right. So not a lot of big things played out on television at the tapings before they happened at a major house show. Right. And a lot of times, if you look back at, at Superstars, sometimes, you know, we would suddenly talk about what happened last week at at Madison Square Garden or Boston Garden or Toronto, and the ramifications. So not a lot of major angles broke, you know, on TV, or if they did, you know, the turnaround from TV to the first week was only a few days. So if anything like that, Happened. It generally was at the first week's taping.
2: Yeah, and they they didn't air really quick. If you really think about it, the Vince and the promoting people didn't really care. You have an audience that's there for four or five hours, and as long as they're staying there, they they, you know how how are these people going to tell what's going on? Like Ken said, there's no there's no internet back in those days, and in the magazines, we were careful about you know we didn't print four shows worth, even though it was, uh, came out three months later, you know, we would take maybe one of those three or four hours and print the results. Yeah. And, and again, like if something was
0: going to happen on TV, it almost happened in, you know, we would tape three hours. It would almost always go down in the first week taping, which, you know, it might be a Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, but they would the turnaround and the editing. You know, the interviews would have been done. There was a you know minute fifty four seconds. So a lot of times we might tape on a Wednesday, Thursday, and that show would air on Superstars in New York on Saturday. So there wasn't a lot of time where they were really needed to keep it secret,
2: and, and it wasn't know, sequential, you know right? How I they mean... kept? Do you know how they kept the audience there? How? Oh by saying that at the end of the taping, the last night of the match will be Sergeant Slaughter against Hulk Hogan. Oh, it was they always, a dark had, match. they always had a dark match to hold the fans that they yeah. would stay for those shows. Yeah. And, and it wasn't sequential, right? I mean, they're post-producing
1: yeah. that and splitting you know, it up it into it different... Was
0: it, at least in the days of, of Poughkeepsie, and then we would tape in Brantford, Ontario for Canadian <laughs> content they pretty much did it, you know, okay, week one, it's going to be this, 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 and this, you know, then week two, this, this, and this, and then, you know, week three, for the most part, the matches happened sequentially. It, mm-hmm. if it, and, and it was one of those things. Remember, that was very much the kayfabe era. So the thought was, even though it was just a couple thousand people in Poughkeepsie, they didn't really want to smarten them up. They wanted it to happen as it happened. Right. And, I mean, they were also very conscious that, you know, if somebody seemingly got hurt in the in the first week's taping, they might come back in the third week. But so, in reality, in the fans' mind, okay, they've had, you know, an hour and a half to, to kind of recover. So, you they, you know, they were very much aware of, of you know, uh, everything. and to that point far more so in WWF than AWA they were very conscious of, of all of that
1: very good well there you go for all the all of you that were wondering how that went down to me it's still like I'm I'm picturing somebody sitting there watching it you know thinking that the guy rested for two hours came back out but then he watches it on tv and the second week you know he sees like ricky steamboat and a neck brace uh you know acting like he can't talk <laughs> meanwhile they know that he came back out on the same show but like you guys said it's it's uh they're probably scratching their head and then thinking oh well i like well, this stuff and, somewhere. And remember
0: too bruce back then we didn't really do any, you know, very few live ringside or in in ring interviews. So if someone was, you know, got hurt and and couldn't talk in week one, they didn't come back to wrestle that night, but we could tape interviews behind the scenes with them for like, you know, the second week where they could barely talk, but they were really keenly aware of, of not doing anything that would, you know
1: insult
0: intelligence to, to smarten anybody up and mean, again there we was were, no
2: internet the internet but, changed the whole you know, business
0: you know and i mean we would have you know pre-production meetings you know with everyone where they would review if they were going to do something well so-and-so couldn't come back out and then we need to do interviews for for all the markets and for superstars and you know what we need to maybe do a generic one about how his injury is I mean, it was you know really well thought out. It 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 wasn't willy nilly.
1: Yeah, very. Uh, it's interesting to me. I mean, very interesting. And you said AWA was even more protective or less, or they no, they were this- uh,
0: No, I'm I'm saying, you know, like it. We never had pre-production meetings in you know in, in the AWA, uh, but you know from day one, the first time I worked at WWF taping, you know, involving interviews, everything else, they were on top of it well okay we did this all right now this is the first time in this market we're gonna see so and so after being hurt okay no he hasn't been hurt in that market i mean they uh and a lot of that was to you know howard finkel was kind of the the historian in terms of what had aired what took place in in what market (laughs) Uh, always, you know, if, if we'd been running a program or, around the territory, you know, sometimes they would switch it up. They might put somebody else over. They might do a different finish, just, you know, switch it up. And if the guys weren't sure, they would always, you know, and sometime we'd have to take a quick break. Howard would go through his notes and say, OK, last time in Salt Lake, uh, you know, Ricky, you won because of this. But now, wait a minute, in Denver, Macho Man, you won. Uh, so, I mean, they were really, really, you know, on top of it, you know, far more so uh, than the, you know, AWA.
1: VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Phil After. The Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro, Shelly Martinez, West Briscoe, and More. Visit vocnation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at vocnation. I feel like I could cut out that entire segment and make it its own show. That's how that's how educational it was. And and off topic and completely my fault. Uh, Ron in Tulsa wanted to know was Jimmy Hart only paired with the Hart Foundation due to his name being the same. That was that's interesting. And and by the way, I've seen his license. His name is Jimmy Ray Hart. That's his name, not a gimmick name.
2: He was just, um, uh, uh, I think maybe at the beginning, uh, that was true. But he turned out to be. I mean, the chemistry between with he and Neidhart and Brett and Danny Davis was just so perfectly natural. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy
0: was one of those. He could. he, he, He could fit in and develop chemistry with, you know, anybody. And, and I'm I'm guessing somebody probably said, well hey, this guy's Jimmy Hart. Well, let's put him with the Hart Foundation.
2: Yeah, I agree. Uh,
0: you know, and that probably what triggered it. And then all of a sudden they realized, hey, Jimmy Hart is quite a talent. We got to start, you know, branching him out. He can really help us.
1: You ever go to lunch with Jimmy? Uh I- Did I? Yeah. Bean beans and potatoes, uh he loves a soup and salad with extra extra pepper.
2: <laughs> I thought I schmoozed with servers. <laughs> He's one of the few people who can schmooze as well, if not better, than I can with a server. I've 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 used Jimmy Hart
1: a lot in corporate events, and I've taken him out to Vegas uh, a bunch of times, and he 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 literally, we have to eat at the same restaurant, Diablo's in, uh, I, f- I forget the, the hotel, maybe it's, M- or, uh, Mandalay Bay, but every single meal, every single day has to be at Diablo's. So shout out to the staff at Diablo's. And I think they have some signed shirts by Mr. Hart, who very much enjoys the food and the atmosphere. Uh, okay. Uh, wrapping it up here. A couple more, uh, and I got two more about Brett and Neidhart. So let's go with uh, Sunshine Babisha, Babisha on Twitter. Did any promoters or bookers think that Jim Neidhart was the bigger star of the two? And I, I'm guessing early on, what, was Jim Neidhart viewed as the breakout star versus Bret Hart? Who ultimately- I, I,
2: I don't know the answer to that, no. but um, I, I think, you know, he was a little more established at the beginning there and people did think that, you know, he was going to be the big star of the, uh, of the group, but uh, it turned out to be, you know, Brett took the spotlight.
1: Let me weave this in and I'll give Dan from Pennsylvania credit for, uh, for this, or I'll just mention him because he asked if Ken and Bill saw Brett as the top star early on. But I, I guess my question is back in the early days of the heart foundation and i'll ask this to ken because he was literally there from almost when they started did did vince or pat or any of the the backstage booking type people see them as okay eventually these guys are going to break out and become singles or was it these guys are the killer bees uh you know or the rougeos they're going to be tag team forever
0: you know, I, I think it started out, you know, they, they were a great tag team. And, you know, remember from Vince, from Pat, from Arnie Scolin, the fact they, you know, both were trained at the Hart House. They knew their fundamentals, you know, were, were second to none. They didn't have to worry about that. Um, I kind of got the impression a, a little bit that they recognized Brett was – probably the better of the two as a singles match pacing in a singles where Jim was just a great tag team partner I mean Jim's feeling for for tags and the the timing of a tag team uh, was just phenomenal <laughs> uh, and I mean Brett was great too but I I, I think the thinking may have been, began to evolve that Brett might be a little bit better of a singles wrestler than Jim and Jim is certainly an outstanding tag team wrestler. I mean, he really understood, you know, the, the psychology of tag team wrestling. So I, I, I'm guessing that might have factored in
2: uh, a little bit. I think one of the other factors, and this is just, Things that I heard back in the early days that Brett was a lot more easy to control uh, than Jim was. That Jim was a Jim was more uh, uh, fun-loving and hot-headed than uh, Brett. Brett was uh, uh, Brett was still um, kind of you know Hart's son and had this uh, whole reputation to uphold about the Hart family. Um, I I would agree
0: with that completely, Bill, but not to mislead. I don't think anybody thought Jim was a hothead to the point of maybe not being able to control. Jim was certainly the more fun-loving. I mean, Brett was quiet, studious, you know, Jim was more outgoing, fun-loving, but not, you know, hard to control or, or anything along those lines.
2: Yeah, no, I'm just telling you what I, what I had yeah. heard on the road with yeah. a lot of the other guys.
1: Bill, were you surprised, and I guess tying a bow on this, were you surprised that Brett wasn't a bigger success in WCW? I mean, the fans kind of rejected him from the beginning, didn't really buy into him. Maybe the, the promotion was uh, on its way down, but did you, uh, were you surprised that Brett wasn't a
2: bigger star there? I, I think the fans got the feeling that they didn't know what they were going to do with Brett Hart. And they brought him in, you know, as was Brett Hart, but, you know, he's just came from that whole Montreal screw screw job thing, et cetera, and all that. He was, There was a lot of controversy going on, but I just think they were waiting to see what was going to happen to, to him. And I don't think the promotion... Did it fast? Put him on that pedestal fast enough?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think the bill's
0: right, and the the fans were kind of waiting, but I think the promotion was kind of waiting to to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they brought him out, and, and it was like they brought him out to this fanfare, but with no real purpose. At what do we court. do? You know, it, it's like, and hey, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, okay, next match. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you know, I'm I, I I think maybe in a rush to put it to Vince, they brought him out before they really knew what they were going to to do with him. And I mean, you know, I remember watching, and oh my God, Bret Hart is there, and and okay, Bret Hart is there. Well, okay, Bret Hart is there. What are you gonna? Oh, oh okay, Bret Hart. I, it's, it's like this, you know, big build. That, oh my god, look who's here! And we'll be back after this. Yeah, <laughs> this
2: I would have loved like, to yeah. have seen, I would have loved to have seen, and again, this is just uh, the fan in me that first week. Well, Bret, if you think you got screwed where you were before, wait till you see what the end of what wait till you see what we're gonna do to you. Yeah, uh, instead, they I, like. Oh my God. What are they going to do to him? Yeah. Right. Make him like teased him joining
1: or, you know,
2: but make him a victim.
1: Yeah. Or, I mean, I think people, they hated Vince because of what he did, but they hated Brett because of how he was acting. You know, they, they, you know, I'm annoyed at this guy. So they could have made him a heel. I think they just, it was too wishy-washy. yeah,
0: And, um, I, I've been asked, and to me, that was one of the bigger failings of, you know, WCW. I mean, for a while, you know, along with Hall, Brett was kind of the face of WWF, great champion, great, you know, pedigree, uh, you know, just, and they just, they brought him out and just kind of he hung around that the, they never really had a, a program set as to what they were going to do. And that was one of the things, and Bill knows this better than anyone, about Vince. Vince knew six months before WrestleMania what yep. the main event was going to be and how he was going to put it in the works to come to the crescendo yeah, at, yes. at WrestleMania. Absolutely. And, you know, I, 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 I don't think WCW was operating with that much foresight um and it's it, it's like anything you know you all know um when a fan when suddenly a wrestler doesn't mean much it's really hard to get him to mean something again yeah
1: yeah, yeah it's hard to sure it's hard to put the uh. What, once you open Pandora's box, it's hard to put the lid back on. All right, that does it for this week. The Heart Foundation, along with a really good segment about. TV tapings, multi-week TV tapings. Yeah, so. I love
2: that. that yeah. was, even though I was around in those days, I learned.
1: that was That's a great 10 minutes. If I was doing radio, I'd say you'd have to go back and listen to that. But obviously, if you're this far, you got through that as well. well at least we hope so, because you got to listen to like 20% for us to get paid. All right. Uh, we're working on a guest, so we don't normally do guests on this show. But we're working on a guest uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, Mike McGurk, who... Was uh, a lot of you might know her as the ring announcer from Wrestling Challenge uh, for a couple of years in the '80s. But she was Leroy McGurk's daughter, and she's got a lot of experience in the wrestling business. Especially... Look up
2: Leroy McGurk, by the way. On yeah, uh, on Wikipedia, the
1: blind commentator.
2: Uh, go well, for there, there was a lot more. He was a wrestler, I mean he was so much more. You so know, I,
0: and I've been very, very lucky to to get a chance to work with a lot of great people in wrestling and establish some friendships. I mean, God, Bill and I go back to, to my AWA days, but you know, I'm on record. Mike McGurk is one of my favorite people. She's just just an awesome, awesome lady.
1: She would send you guys the link to log into this show every week on time. No doubt about it. And wouldn't make fun of you saying that Manny Fernandez can get it right. And you can't, she definitely would do that.
2: Chastity's doing it again. No, yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right, that's it. Uh, that's it for this week. Uh, for the legendary duo of yeah. Killer Ken Resnick <laughs> and wonderful Willie, the Legend Maker, Bill after, who Hulk Hogan fears, by the way. i but the Pat
0: voice. Pat McAfee Cho- doesn't.
1: Pat McAfee <laughs> does not for sure. I'm <laughs> the voice of choice, Bruce Ward. Bill,
2: we'll see you pretty soon at yeah. the matches.
1: Yeah.
0: It's getting closer.
2: Have a good week,
1: everybody. We'll see you next one.